Lord, uh, we thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing here. And we just recognize your place here. And God, we're just on a pursuit of knowing who you really are. And God, we lay down the things that we have read and thought and heard, and we just ask, Lord, for direct interaction with you. Every person here, every mind, every heart, Lord, we don't want to go through a proxy or some other form of which we are enlightened about you, Lord. We want it to be face-to-face. I love the lyrics tonight, Lord. I don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room. I want to look right at you. And so, Lord, that's our cry tonight. So, God, would you open up our um, our minds to understand a little bit more of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. It's good to be back with you guys. It uh, is, it's always, um, we had a, our 10-year wedding anniversary. So we escaped for uh, a couple weeks, and uh, that was really fun. And uh, so we took our kids up to Portland and uh, had a great time up there. And uh, last time uh, I was up here, I've been teaching a series um, called Daddy God. It only was meant to be one night, so I'm sorry this keeps on going, but I just think it's so, um, just so heart-wrenching for me, so I hope it's interesting for you guys. But uh, I've been doing a series called Daddy God, and it basically is what I've come to know Father God to be as becoming a father myself. And there are things that were just happening in my heart, happening in me, that I never knew until I actually stood face-to-face with a a growing child, and it revealed to me the nature of our Heavenly Father. I'm being in a relationship with my toddler, mostly uh, these teachings are from our little girl, Scarlett, if is her name. Um, It's taught me about his heart, his character, his patience, what discipline is. It's taught me more about the Father's heart than any Bible verse, than any book, than any devotional, than any C.S. Lewis quote, no matter how cool it is. It's been the most profound thing, and so that's what I've been trying to share with you. And I learned that there's a world of difference between being a father and being a daddy. And Scarlett's in this phase right now. It's really cute. Uh, I think it's really cute. It's probably known to other people. Uh, But for probably the past two weeks, she'll go up to different people, and I'll be in, like, the room, and she'll be like, Nana, that's my daddy. You know, she'll, like, say it over and over again. She did this morning to Camille. She's like, Mommy, that's my daddy. I was like... As if you needed to prove that because we look pretty similar. But uh, it's so adoring. And I love the term daddy. And it bothers me when she doesn't say daddy. Like, and she says dad. Like, it's not okay. But, um, but there's a world of difference between having a relationship with Father God and Daddy God. I hope every person in this room has a relationship with Father God for your salvation. But that's just the first step. The relationship part, I believe, transitions into the persona of Daddy God. And that's what I'm trying to communicate uh, in these topics and talks. And it's in the identity of Daddy, not Father. The identity of Daddy is where intimacy and relationship is. Because Father, it has the implications like when when we first had kids, it was kind of like, ah, you know, (laughs) like for me, I didn't have all those warm and fuzzies. Like, this is crazy. This is intense. I love my kids. Don't hear me wrong. But when something is just in dire need, can't take care of themselves, cries a lot, especially at late nights in the morning, your your love is not about warm and fuzzy feelings and dialogue. It's about I'm committed to you, to providing, to protecting, to sacrificing for you, you know? And it was really hard for me, honestly. 
But in this transition to where Scarlet's become a little girl, a little person with this fiery persona, it's made everything worth it. And from that, I've just gotten this crazy download of just my own context with my own daddy God. So, um, but there's this fine line though, because most of us, when we think about our Christian walk, our relationship with Jesus, it can so easily be deduced and reduced to obedience. And that becomes the focal point. And Julie Bedencourt last night, I don't know where she took it from, but I'm going to steal a tribute to her tonight, is that um, do not mistake obedience for a relationship. Do not mistake obedience for a relationship. Because there are millions of people who are obedient to God in their behavior, but void of intimate relationship. And if we are filled with knowledge of God and filled with knowledge about Jesus, but don't cross over into the relationship side, it makes us a Pharisee who is hyper-religious, they are numb to the, the personas and the people and the needs and the spiritual. They, they knew more about Jesus, the coming Messiah. And when Jesus stood in front of them, they had no idea who he was. And so I'll go as far as saying this is that you will never reach intimacy with God through obedience. You will never reach intimacy with God through obedience. However, intimacy, God, will draw you into obedience. I like to kind of joke that um, I don't need to like really work on being faithful to my wife. It's not something like I need an accountability group. It's not something that like I'm really, oh man, how am I doing this week? It's like, no, intimacy with my wife drives my obedience. Relationship with her drives me to make the other decisions. I don't need to focus on the other decisions so that I have intimacy and relationship with my wife. And so for those who are trying to good behavior yourself into intimacy with Jesus need to turn it around. You need to begin to think about maybe there's a different kind of relationship that God is after for you. And so distilling these differences is what my aim is. So I think I'm, I'm on part three here. So what you missed possibly in our messages are online is, um, and I won't go into detail unless you can check them out, but Daddy God is in a good mood. I think it's, it's understated about that God is in a good mood when he interacts with us. That Daddy God wants intimacy, not proximity. He doesn't want to be a Facebook status. He doesn't want to be something that maybe you just acknowledge him in a uh, pre-meal <laughs> greeting. Uh, he doesn't want um, him just to be called upon at bad times. Um, but he wants intimacy. And also with Daddy God, discipline is not punishment. I'll touch on this briefly, but um, discipline is boundaries. And that's a whole revela a revelation that I've had in myself of just that God's not in the business of punishing his kids, but he establishes boundaries so that we would learn and grow. Also that daddy God moves on quickly. When we have hiccups, that he is quick to move on, he's quick to pick back up and get back to where um, we're having fun again, as I shared with my stories with Scarlett. And then uh, last time was daddy God delights in giving, which uh, I loved talking on that last time. So uh, tonight... I'm going to talk a little bit in the power of our choice and decisions. And any parent, hopefully, parents in here, there's some, there's a few. Um, I think probably all of us would agree is that you learn really quick that you cannot control your child. One thing is like, you might be able to physically restrain them. You might be able to like put them in a physical location, uh, possibly legally, uh, but... You really can't control their mood, their words, their attitude, their sleep, amen, and most of their decisions. 
you actually have very little control with that. And um, parents bemoan the terrible twos, right? It's like the, oh, you know, it's like the, you're going to really regret having that child when they turn two, you know? And, and so there's this big, just black cloud of when the kid, you know, turns two. And so there's some popular teachings that are going on right now. Two books um, I'll just give quick mention to is Loving Our Kids on Purpose and Love and Logic. And a summary of it basically is that the terrible twos is about a period of rebellion. And that they're going to rebel, and they're going to resist, and it's going to be terrible. But it doesn't need to be that way. And, and they basically distill it down to that when you empower your children with choice, the rebellion subsides. The rebellion is actually a form of protest against an absence of choice. And so what they really do is they try to like help you develop um, giving choices um, and helping them learn to like exercise their opinion. It doesn't mean that, you know, do you want candy for dinner? Like it's not that kind of choice, but you give them options. And at every turn you try and do that. And so uh, we have been in the terrific twos. The twos have been wonderful. Uh, for us because uh, one of the reasons I think that we've kind of helped understand power, authority, boundaries, and decisions with Scarlett. And we've been teaching that the power of her decisions are in her choice and that she is powerful already and she has a voice to decide um, some of the things that happen. So for example, um, Scarlett, do you want to play music or do you want to color? Scarlett, do you want to eat dinner or take a tubby? Do you want to go to bed now or do you want to go to bed in two minutes? The one thing you will hear from her now all the time is two minutes. No matter what it is. Scarlett, um, can I have a kiss? Two minutes, Daddy. You know, she's like, she's got the two-minute thing down. She has no, I don't think she has any concept of what two minutes actually is. It's always the default answer. But basically, it's like, we are going to go to bed. If we can go to bed now or we can go to bed two minutes, it's your decision. And so um, her decisions happen with, within that set of boundaries um, in order to guide her well-being, but every boundary she gets a choice. And so our aim is to make her know and link her role within her power. To let her know that she's powerful, she has a choice, and her decisions matter. And I realize that the exact same principles are at play with Daddy God, with us. God made you powerful on purpose. It wasn't an accident. He it it wasn't like making all this awesome stuff and oh, actually, you know, some power like got on the humans. Like, no, he, he intentionally made you powerful. And I actually believe that this phase that we are all in in this part of our growth is actually the, the father's heart, daddy God's heart is desperate to teach you that your choices and decisions are way more powerful than you think. If you think about it, Jesus put the fate of the world put the salvation of souls under the influence of your own choices. When you really think and you really read the Bible about what Jesus is doing, he's doing it through you and me. We have a choice to participate in it. But if you think about that, the fate of what's going to happen in this world and the salvation of souls is going to come through your decisions and your choices. Ephesians 5.15 says this, says, be very careful in how you live not as unwise, but as wise, making most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Basically meaning you have a say in how this world goes. You either can be wise or you can be unwise. But make the most of the opportunity because your decisions 
are powerful. Your decisions matter. Do you also know that the word talks about that how you live will actually quicken the coming of Christ? It's 2 Peter 3, it says, You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speeding its coming. Who would have thought that how we live on this earth might actually accelerate Jesus coming back? That's kind of a crazy thought. So how does this relate to Daddy God? It's this is that Daddy God won't stop you from your own choices. Daddy God won't stop you from your own choices. Let me say it this way, is that the things that you insist on doing and having and joining yourself with in God's sovereignty, he allows you to do that. Sometimes people want to think that God is throwing up, you know, roadblocks and blockades. And, and I believe that, that God does, does occasion do some intervention. But largely, he lets us have the fruit of our decisions and our choices. I've learned that, um, that sometimes when we make bad decisions, it's in God's mercy that he allows us to have an alternative consequence to what's coming. But in order for us to understand that we are powerful to declare healing, to declare salvation, to, to transform the world, we also have to have the other side of that sharp edge, which is that we also have the power for death. We have the power to destroy. We have the power to wreck and ruin. We have all those things within our power. And so that, that um, dichotomy, that edge, is where we decide if we're world changers or pew potatoes. It's where we decide what is going to happen in this world and in our own lives. There's two scary uh, mentions of Apostle Paul to this thought. And he says something very funny. He says, I have handed them over to Satan. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if that's like picking them up and driving. I'm like, get out. You know, like, I, that, I don't know what physically that looks like besides this. Is that essentially Paul is saying, if they are so committed to doing it, if they insist on going to that part, if they insist on joining themselves with destruction and evil and darkness, they are going to do it. And there's a level in which he says we can't control what they join themselves with. And so when he says, I've handed them over to Satan, he's not like, to Satan, address hell. Like, no, he's just saying there's a degree in which you only can fight on behalf of somebody before they do what they want to do. That's a really tough reality. Because sometimes people don't live the lives that we want them to live. And sometimes we will insist on a life that we live that maybe God doesn't want either. And what we can learn from this is that, this is key, is that God will not force his plan and his best upon you against your will. God is not going to force his best plan, his best purposes upon you against your will. And if you think that no matter what your decisions, that God will guarantee his best for you and the best outcome of your life possible, you are mistaken. I'm sorry if this is a little rough. I, I don't want this to be a downer night. <laughs> this hopefully is like a, hey, you actually have the opportunity to make your life freaking awesome or you can put it in the dumps. And you know what? There's going to be times when we can really wreck our life and we can put ourselves in situations and God, his purposes are, are what? to work all things out for good. That means that we can have a situation, we can blow it, and, and God can take our ruins and he can help us from there. 
But if you think that that outcome for on is going to be just as good if you would have made wise decisions, I, I'm telling you you're wrong. I'm telling you, you can't live your life flippantly and say, oh, it'll all work out in the end. Actually, you can take yourself out of the running for what, maybe what God really had hoped for you. Here's an example. We know a friend, kind of a friend, and I won't say the names, I won't say the place, but he is um, in line to be the heir of a, a bank, like a huge bank. Like the family owns it, billions of dollars. He's like one of the only sons. He's like in line. All he needs to do to inherit ownership of the bank is like stay alive. It's kind of his one job. He was given like a middle level executive, big house, kids. And so um, he's in line. Like he's going to have millions and millions of dollars just for being who he is and being born to who he was. And so in a moment of temptation, he had a startup going, and he decided to finance short-term, about 10 days worth of cash flow of the startup from a customer's account that had it in like this long-term play, and then put it back. And unfortunately, there's systems and detections and audits that found it. And unfortunately, his own family had to catch him in it. And from that, I think he got three felonies, and he's serving five to seven years. When he went in, his son was two. When he's going to get out, his son's either going to be seven or nine. He will never be able to work in banking again. Now, I'm not trying to say that God's best and most awesome plan was him to be a billionaire. I'm not, I, I don't try and confuse those two worlds. But I got to say that God, God is still faithful to work awesome works in him. But you know, he took himself out of the running of a lot of good things that God could have done that now are going to be illegal for him to do. And so now he's subject to the own consequences of his decisions. And so God's best plan, if you hear nothing from me tonight, is this, is that God's best plan for you in your life is only as good as your ability to recognize it and choose it. God's best for your life is only as good as your ability to recognize it right now and say, I choose that. I choose delayed gratification to seek this because I know that this is where Jesus is ultimately calling me. I know I could participate in this, but this is where Jesus is at. And when we apply that, we choose that, we set ourselves up for a world of difference. Because I don't believe that God supersedes our willpower. I think if we're dead set on saying, Jesus, you stay in that box, and I'm just going to trust that you're going to work it all out. I think he allows us to be in that box. I saw a quote, I don't know who it was, one of my Facebook friends, that closed mouths don't get fed. It's pretty good. Who was that? Yes, Eugene. Closed mouths don't get fed. I don't know where that came from, but it's brilliant. But it's true. We need to know that God's, God does have plan, has best, has purposes for all of us, but if we refuse to open our mouths to be fed, it's going to be a little awkward. So, um, Here's how this runs practically. Here's how I know this to be true. Is one of the difficult things with being a father of Scarlett is um, letting Scarlett have her own way because more times than not, she insists on having her own way. Even in the, the choices and parameters we try and give her, um, even though I know what she's doing is wrong, there's this challenge that always keeps coming up. So we were in Mexico in November and we we're coming back and our flight was really late. And it was like 11 p.m. We're in the airport, 
and our toddler hadn't slept, and we're like feeding her Oreos to like keep her happy, right? And so our flight gets delayed coming back, and so she starts like running circles around like all the chairs. I'm like, and there's like this little strip, right, where like the carpet mends, and there's like a little, you know, joint. I'm like, Scarlet, like, you can't run, like, honey, like, you got to be careful. Watch your step, watch your step. I'm like, I'm like, no, daddy might do it, you know, and she'll keep running. And so I'm like, just watching this. I'm like, be careful, be careful. And she's like, hey, hey, hey. Trips on that little thing, goes wham. Not the saddest photo you've ever sent, seen. I mean, yeah, it was like I had my new shirt on. Like I have, I'm like in this pattern where I'm ruining all my shirts right now. But like I had like blood everywhere and like, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. But there's this, this challenge. Being her daddy, she, as she's learning, he, here's the challenge. As she learns, she exercises her own authority to do it by herself without me. I teach her how to put on shoes. The next day, she wants to put them on. Well, then she's got the, she, she for a while, didn't understand that the left shoe goes on the left foot. She's just put it on the wrong side. It's got like this Velcro strap that has to go into this loop. She doesn't get that, right? So she's trying, to, I'm like trying to help her. She's like, no, why do it? You know, and she's like trying to do it. And she's insisting on doing it herself. And sometimes she needs to learn that her way of doing it isn't working. Sometimes I just need to sit back and like, I, I could force her, and at times I did. Like, no, we gotta go, you know, put it on. And she would like cry. She would like, oh, you know, just like come unglued. I'm like, you, I, I did it right, you were doing it wrong. Like it doesn't, she doesn't understand that. She's just utterly destroyed. <laughs> and so whether it's stepping off the curbs, whether it's going downstairs and you gotta hold the rail, like Dad's telling you, hold the rail, and wham! I mean, kids are always falling and hurting themselves. It's, it's really traumatizing, you know? You're like, you wanna help them. And I just, I just see myself. I see God the Father, Daddy God looking down, and he's like, you don't have to make it that hard on yourself. I know you know just enough to do it yourself, but let me help. Let me continue to help until you, you get it. Don't continue to insist to butt me out and do it by yourself. And so that, that force of just saying, okay, I have to stand back and I have to let you get frustrated until you ask me to help. It's a tough one. It's a tough one to like see your own child struggle and like insist on doing it themselves until they're at a point of frustration and desperation to then finally ask. So we need to ask ourselves, is what you're doing in your life right now, is it currently working? That's where we're going. You are powerful with powerful choices and decisions that are influencing everything. So as you look at your life right now, examine it. Is what you are currently doing and currently insisting on, is it working for you? As hard as that is, sometimes Scarlett needs to get to that point of utter frustration, desperation before she asks to help. And I think sometimes some of us painfully need to get to that point. It's not very fun. It's not very fun to be in a point of like, I give up. And it's totally unnecessary. So... What are the implications for this? I'm going to close in just a couple, three takeaways on this. Because that's what I want to get to. Is the first, is to live 
your life as a world changer, that your decisions matter, that souls are being impacted, lives are being saved, culture is being shaped, and that your life actually matters. There's something that is good in the, have you heard like we're the selfie generation? You know, like, you know, we're doing all that stuff all the time. So there's this obsession of self that's unhealthy. There's also an obsession of self that should be healthy, that we totally ignore. We are quick to take the photo of ourselves and look how awesome my life is. And then, but we are completely absent from the decisions I'm making here about how it actually affects my life. I would suggest to you that we actually need to be more concerned about ourselves than we probably are because our lives actually matter a whole lot more than we think. But the values of our life have kind of been deduced to like, how many double taps did I get? How many likes did I get? I, went, I spoke at a high school um, event, and so all the kids are on Instagram, of course. And uh, I couldn't believe, like, the number one request, will you follow me on Instagram? I'm like, well, sure, I guess so. You know, like, it was so crazy. They were, all of them, like, were just obsessed. Like, will you follow me? I said, sure. I didn't know that was that important to you, you know? It's crazy. But we need to be obsessed about the power of our, our life. That it actually matters, that... that what you are doing today actually matters because you're trading a day of your life for it. I hope you think that an environment like this is worth it because you're exchanging a portion of your life for it that you will never get back. And our hope is that it's shaping us to think of like, wow, there's a lot of messed up stuff happening in the world right now. And we're like, Jesus, send someone. And he's like, I'm waiting for you. I wonder like, when we are wondering, God, where are you? I think he's like, where are my people? He's like, I left you in charge. Do you know that? That when Jesus left, he left us in charge? <laughs> I'm just saying. And so if you are waiting on God to make a move, maybe it's actually God who's waiting on you to make a move. I don't see any reason as I read the Bible about what he's given us. Acts 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will do greater things than I will. It's not I who live, but Christ who lives through me. I mean, I could go on and on and on. There's nothing that I read in the Bible that says that we should wait idle and do nothing because, you know, we're not supposed to. Like, no. We're supposed to live powerfully and intentionally. Number two is this. It's just like Scarlett trying to get her left shoe on without the Velcro. Don't wait for the point of desperation and frustration to ask for the Holy Spirit's involvement. Don't do that. It's like the rookie mistake I'm seeing. <laughs> it's, I, the most powerful people I know, their first inclination for almost all things is to ask the Holy Spirit. And I don't know why I need to be told that so many times and I can't get it through my own thick skull. But when people tell me, I'm like, oh yeah, that's right, you know. I'm, try I'm trying to like do better at that, but it's, it's so obvious that, that for me to go to breaking point of areas of my life is totally unnecessary. Because usually it's like at the breaking points, I'm like, so God, what do you think about this? And it's kind of like, uh, where were you like two months ago when all this was starting to come up? And so I, I plead for you because your life is powerful. Is don't let your life get ruined before you actually seek Jesus. Actually seek his involvement. Seek his wisdom. Seek his revelation. If anyone lacks understanding, he just asks and he will receive it as the biblical promise for us. And the, the habit is that 
we only talk to God when we're in crisis. And people who only talk to God in crisis will find themselves always in crisis. Like, I have a couple of people in my life that they only call me when, when it's bad news. You know what? Those are terrible phone calls to receive. I'm like, oh, you know, like, oh, I'm gone, you know, like, it, it's, it's, it's stressful. I don't mind helping people, but like, you know the only reason you're calling me is like, I just bought you a bus ticket. How'd you get kicked off the bus? You know, you're like, I don't get it. <sighs> Sorry. Minister to myself for a minute, pull it back together. But also the proximity of our relationship with God may be a result of our choices. Remember, our choices are what? Powerful, right? I'm going to get that one in. Our choices are powerful. So, the most common thing I hear is people are dissatisfied with the distance they feel with God. If you feel distant from God, you may want to look back at the waves, at the ways you've asked God to butt out. If you feel distant from God right now, I want to, I'm not saying this is it, but I just want to like pose the possibility that maybe you should look back on the decisions you've been making that might have asked God to leave me alone. Just stay out of this area. I remember like, God, I want you in my life, but I don't want you to like touch my relationships. And all my relationships were like terrible. Because when we ask God to butt out, I believe it's in his sovereignty that he lets us have us what we want, lets us have what we want. If we ask God to have him butt out and we're feeling distance, it might just be him answering our own prayers. I believe they would say, God, go away. I believe he says, okay. I'm, I'm not going to force myself on you. And they're like, God, where are you? He's like, you told me to get out. <laughs> and so that's the part where we need to know that if our life isn't working, before you blame God, you may want to examine the things that you've insisted on doing your own way. Is that making sense? The bonus. You guys, you want a bonus point? Here's a bonus point. This is a tougher one. You are responsible for your own choices and not the choices of others. That might not seem that revelatory, but let me say it this way. Beware of trying to live someone else's life for them. It's exhausting. And so many of us try to do it. You might be trying to prevent someone from something, but you, you might need to stop. You might be trying to think, I'm just going like, to intervene in their life and continue to control and continue to do this, and I'm like, you know, fighting for them. And, and, and there's a degree where fighting for people, fighting for hearts is what we do as human beings and followers of Jesus. Like, we do that. Totally get that. Yes. However, trying to live someone else's life for them and trying to bail them out from something they probably should learn on their own is a totally different thing. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do is to let someone have their own way. I think it's Christ's life that said that. It's sometimes the most loving thing you can do is let someone have their own way. Because the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, not other control. Like, I can control myself, I can't control you. And the power to control your own life and decisions is God's intention for every person. 
And each time we try and control someone else's life, we are robbing them of the opportunity to actually run their own life. If you've helped someone else, and they always come to you for the same thing, the same breakthrough, the same need, you've created dependency on them. And same thing you've got prophetic gifting. Like, part of the prophetic is, yes, you hear from God for you on your behalf. That's totally clear. But the other gifting of the prophet is actually to hook up your own dang phone. You can come to me for now. This one's free, but that cell phone plan's free too. You know, it's like there's a part of it where, and I was this, this too. Like every single time I needed the word from him, I would go to the same person, you know. And he's like, you know, you could just go direct. <laughs> Much cheaper that way. And so it's important to know that we don't create spiritual dependencies upon other people. And likewise, that we aren't trying to control other people into protecting them from something that they might actually need to learn themselves. I wasn't going to show this, I'm going to show this. My favorite, I, I see this like once a month. It's, it's great. So, uh, if there's one person who gets like the relationship burned down on like a regular basis, it's Waterbury here. Where basically he, he's like the truth teller. Where, where someone doesn't want to listen to God, they go to Eric, and Eric ends up telling them the same thing that they heard from God. And so they get mad too, because they don't like the information. And um, usually when, when they don't like the information, it comes across this way I need space. I just need to like figure it out on my own. I need, I'm, I'm feeling called in a different direction. You know, like, there's about four or five different lines. It's amazing. And okay, cool. Sure, like, you know, no big deal. I kid you not. It's no more than three months to where I feel really distant from you. What happened? You know, like, what's going on? He's like, I'm just honoring what you said and asked. And so all of this is basically my hope is this. Is one is to recognize that you are way more valuable than a selfie on Instagram. That you also have the power to shape everything around you for good and for bad. And to know that your choices will be the difference between intimacy and rebellion and life and death. And if you're not satisfied with the proximity and the depth and the, the, the connection you have with Jesus, I just beg you tonight as I close with this, is just to examine the ways you might have asked God to give us space. Love you guys.